I think the kind of biggest uh, sort of neon lights failure was after I finished my PhD, I was applying for jobs and I was just being told, oh, you're overqualified or I was coming second for jobs. I would get interviews and come second. So that was a failure. I was officially unemployed for I think 18 months, two years, going into long-term unemployment as it would have been called. And the part of that was timing because it was after the crash and all of that. It was just, you know, repeating the same thing, keep applying for jobs, keep applying for jobs. And that was the failure that just made me go, I can't keep doing this like it's killing me. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Key Moments. On today's show, we have a special guest who is a human-to-human copywriter for B2B, a content writer, and content designer. She's on a mission to make the mundane memorable. With a PhD in poetry, she knows how to make language sync, helping her customers engage with their audiences by creating content they want to click, read, and share. Her creator journey started just around the time she started her PhD, and she hasn't looked back since. She's now helping agencies, coaches, and consultants express their thoughts more powerfully from dried fruit all the way to technology and higher education and everything in between. Mavehan, welcome to Key Moments. Thank you very much, Kareem. So maybe take us back, like how did you uh, even come up with the idea to do a PhD in poetry of all things? I know. Um, well, I think I, as a kid, I always loved reading. Like I, I, one of my earliest, well, not my earliest memory, but an early memory is of the first time I read a book from start to finish by myself. And it was The Little Red Hen. And uh, I just, yeah, I loved, learn, loved reading, couldn't get enough books. But I actually came to like doing an arts degree quite relatively late in life. I did it as a mature student. Then I started working. And when I was working, when I finished my arts degree, I did a master's in American poetry, then worked for a couple of years because I was like, I want to earn some money and have a normal life again. But I had this idea in my head for some research I wanted to do. I was really interested in one particular poet. And uh, after a couple of years, I, I just couldn't ignore that little nagging voice in the back of my head going, come on, come back, come back to the books. So yeah, so I decided I would uh, bite the bullet and uh, do a PhD. And what, what was the what was the, the focus of it? The focus was on uh, Asian American poetry, contemporary Asian American poetry. So there was, I looked at three different poets through kind of five themes that they explored through their work. So yeah, I, I probably couldn't even remember remember the five themes now because it's been so long. But uh, yeah, I just, I just loved kind of looking at language and looking at how people use words and why they decide to use some words rather than others and also how um, other poets influence their work. So yeah, that's that's the nerdy side of it. And I'm sure we're going to dig into like how, how you kind of like around that time, how you also made the uh, the transition to, to, to becoming obviously self-employed and, yeah. and have been for, for several years. But maybe take us back. Let, I want to I want to know like I want to I want you to take us back to the, the very, very start. So Maybe tell us about like your your early childhood and how that kind of led to like your early career and okay. how all that kind of unfolded to where you are today. Uh, okay. Um, it was my birthday on Monday, so like this is like too much reflection on the past. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> um, no, thanks. Uh, so I, I was in the middle of five children, obviously not straight away, but... Uh, well, but being an Irish family in the 70s and 80s, yeah, five children in relatively quick succession. Um, so I was in the middle, um, and we were we were a, a family of kind of readers, like nerds. That way, I, I can remember sitting on my dad's lap, and he was, you know, helping me learn to read by reading headlines from the newspaper. Um, so there was always that, you know, the power of the written word was kind of big in our house. Um, and then, you know, obviously normal enough school years. Um, and when I finished school, I did kind of a two year course um, in journalism. 
and uh, print journalism specifically, media management. But when I finished, I just wanted to save money and do do that sort of rite of passage thing of going to Australia for a year on a working holiday visa. So actually, my first job out of college was in an estate agent's uh, writing those, putting those ads into like grids on, I think it was Quark Express. I don't know if anyone remembers Quark Express. Is it even still around? So it was like desktop publishing, um, making the skies blue, because somehow that instantly sells a house. Um, so that was in the late 90s. And I went to Australia. I was there for the millennium and uh, one of the first countries in the world see Y2K come in and have absolutely no effect. <laughs> um, yeah, so when while I was there, I kind of made the decision that I wanted to go back to college and do an arts degree, study English. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that, that's a fast enough tour of the first half of my life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. And, and what, what was there, so what, what happened after that? So after that, I came back and I had a uh, big credit card bill that I had to pay off even though I had worked for six months in Sydney and then traveled for six months, but the six months of traveling had uh, eaten a big hole in my savings and pushed my credit card to the max. So I uh, came back, got a job. It was kind of Celtic Tiger years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I temped for a few weeks and then I got a permanent job pretty much straight away in a bank um, doing sales support. And which you know, it was a very admin based job. Um, and while I was there, I decided, yeah, I'll do apply to college as a mature student got offered a place when I told them in the bank they convinced me to stay part-time mm-hmm. so I had this very kind of weird double life for a while where I was uh, in a language lab speaking old English on for an hour and then going in and working on Excel spreadsheet and loan agreements for the rest of the day and it was like this really weird mixture but uh, yeah I like variety so <laughs> it was good that's one one hell of a variety mix for sure. Um, and I suppose like the, around that time was was that the time when you started to, to think about like how you could maybe start. To, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but like how you could start to like find things that are like a lot more aligned with your interests and kind of take matters into your own hands. Do you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this before we got on this call and uh, it's like there's been so many times in my life where I could have gone down the writer route and I just veered away from it like mm. you know the journalism course most of my class went straight either straight into jobs or freelancing for for uh, newspapers here and um, all of these moments where I could have gone straight into writing but I guess I was either scared or I didn't think you could make a living from it so I just kept running away from it and and picking different options and um, after I finished I, I did a um I did a year study in the states as part of it was like a student exchange in Berkeley in California mm-hmm. and I, while I was there I was working in the communications office uh for the university part-time you know I was always around kind of communications but I was always kind of you know almost shrinking away from it um I get, maybe I'm just sort of slow to to take the hints that the universe is sending my way. But yeah, I always seem to move away from it. So then once I'd finished my master's, um, I was working project management kind of role in a an NGO. And part of my job was writing training materials for young people. And I could never kind of understand why other people were just like, oh, hey, writing this stuff. I was like, this is the best bit of the job. 
you know, it was the part that came most easily, transferring, you know, complicated information into a sort of digestible format for 12 to 18 year olds. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I think I just, there were so many moments in my life where, you know, it was like, you should be writing, you should be writing. And I was just going, maybe, but not yet. Maybe, but not yet. So, yeah. It's like the, the universe was like begging you to write. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. And even once I started, once I started working as a copywriter, I didn't think of myself as a writer. I was just like, you know, kind of finally was like, oh my God, I'm actually getting paid to write. You know, it just took a while for the penny to drop, I guess. Yeah, I can, I can, I can imagine. It's interesting because like, it's super cliche to say this, but like, it's never, it's never going to feel like the right time to do something. And then sometimes when you're already like well into something, you realize it has been the right time and. And now you almost like look at others who are trying to follow into your footsteps and you can recognize that pattern where they're like, oh, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to do something similar, but it's just not the right time for me yet. You know, I need yeah. to make sure X or Y or Z is, is ready before I make that leap. Yeah. When in fact, it's it's kind of like, yeah, wanting to jump into like a, a pool and trying to figure out like when is the right time when the water temperature would be perfect. And yeah. Now I try and tell myself, like, you know what, the longer you wait, the colder it's going to get, at least like <laughs> mentally, because you've, you've, you've been overthinking it this, this whole time. Um, exactly. Yeah, and I, it's also like, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff, I was picking up a lot of really useful skills at the same time. So maybe, you know, maybe the timing, it happens when it's, the timing is right. You know, so I was picking up kind of dealing, you know, managing meetings or dealing with suppliers, all of that kind of stuff that you get to do as an employee um, and and working with various stakeholders and, and learning all of those skills, um, which are skills that stand to you when you have your own business afterwards. So I guess it's not, you know, it wasn't years of wasted effort or anything. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it all kind of led to this, to this moment. And speaking of moments, I think you're being a segue for us to talk about one failure that you've had like earlier on that kind of like shaped the way that you, you, you see things like moving, moving forward since then. Hard to, hard to think of just one. <laughs> There's been many, but I think, I think the kind of biggest, uh, sort of neon lights failure was after I finished my PhD and I was applying for jobs and I was just being told, oh, you're overqualified or I was coming second for jobs. I would get interviews and come second. And yeah, so that was a failure. I was like officially unemployed for, I think, 18 months, two years, like going into long-term unemployment as it would have been called. Um, and then part of that was timing because it was after the crash and all of that. But it was also just, uh, yeah, it, it was just, you know, repeating the same thing, keep applying for jobs, keep applying for jobs. And that was the failure that just made me go, I can't keep doing this. Like it's killing me. Um, so what came out of that was I emailed a bunch of friends that I trusted and said, look, what can I do to support myself? I can't, can't keep applying for jobs and not getting them. Um, and actually, I blind CC'd them so they couldn't reply all and influence the answers, you know, very scientific researcher. And then, so they, uh, several of them came back and said, you should write. And one of them is a web designer and she was like, you know, you, you should be a copywriter. And I was just like, you know, really? Could I, could I, watch, could I make a living from that? Um, and I thought about it and kind of did a little bit of more research because I love doing research. But that was when I kind of was like, okay, this is another way 
there's another way of doing this. And yeah, it took a while, but yeah. Um, that was kind of the big failure and the big kind of realization, I guess. Yeah, well, it, it seems like you've you've clearly kind of, yeah, it almost, I think you said it perfectly there, like it's almost like a realization that, that you know, this, this is something that, that happened, but it kind of was, was the nudge that you needed or perhaps led you on the path to obviously doing, nudge. doing what it is that you do now, really. Yeah, the nudge or the kick up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it, it, it's interesting because like it's, I could definitely relate like when I was uh so I'm I'm from from Egypt um I've recently gotten my my Irish citizenship hey, as well congratulations. uh so so Ireland is, is definitely like my my second home but like in terms of in terms of like when I first got here and I finished college I had to like just grab on to like whatever job will take me because if not I get I have to go back and because my visa wouldn't be like valid and so on so um, I remember like that first job that I had, it wasn't in what I studied. No, it had nothing to do with what I studied, which is like uh, marketing, basically. And uh, no, normally, you know, I, I guess I, I can I can speak a little bit for this mindset of like, hey, like don't rock the boat, you know, and, like yes. just just keep the freaking job. Like don't, you know, now's not the time to to think of like, you know, your 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 dreams or anything like that. But unfortunately, I was very stubborn, and I just decided, you know what, like there's got to be like another another way to like get closer to like what it is that I actually want to do uh and and still get to keep my visa and keep my status <laughs> so uh I mean that that led me to kind of like just doing like side side projects like outside of work after after hours in in this like marketing realm that I was very interested in and that allowed me to build up my skills such that when I applied to other jobs they're like okay well tell us about your marketing experience I actually had like something to show yeah. for a, a little bit at least yeah. because previously it was like oh tell us about your marketing experience and, so I, and I and I had none because yeah. my current job did not allow me to, to build any marketing skills per se mm -hmm. um so I, I could definitely relate to that um so I guess moving on like what's one maybe around the same time or a little bit mm -hmm. after how after you've actually made that move what was one book given that you are a researcher and that you have completed uh a PhD you know uh, just for fun, <laughs> I, I'm just wondering, like, of all the material that you've read, surely there is one book that has left an impact on you. Yeah, I think the book that I read around that time that really helped me was um, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. I mean, Cal Newport's always worth reading, but this particular book was arguing against the kind of follow your passion, go for your dreams kind of uh, mindset when it came to careers and jobs and given that I had followed my passion and spent four really miserable years doing a PhD it was like oh thank god <laughs> I don't have to look for a new passion and it's more about having a craftsmanship mindset and um, developing your skills strongly in one particular area which for me was writing and I had already spent years and years developing those by you know writing a PhD and writing various other things for people um, so yeah, that was a book that really left a lasting impression on me, and I found really helpful at the time. Yeah, that, that's an awesome book. I have, I think I read it about like two months ago or something like that. And to your point, like the the whole like craftsman mindset shift was was really really good. And it says, I think it based just building on what you said. I think mm -hmm. the point that he was trying to make is that you know it, it's not so much about do what you love as opposed to it being just sticking to, to something that you are good at and because you're good at it over time you end up loving it 
yeah. because because you don't suck at it. So <laughs> that is the cause for you to think of it as something exactly. that you like. Yeah. And it was just a very interesting, obviously the book goes like a lot deeper than that, but did, did you, uh, <laughs> did you have any kind of like Hollywood moment for you? You read the book, you put it down, you're like, okay, exactly what I need to do now. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure if it was quite like that, but I think there was probably a lot of vigorous nodding as I read. <laughs> um, and I think it was just like, because, you know, people do PhDs generally to either go into some specialist industry or to go into academia. And I kind of realized in the second year of my PhD, I do not want to be in academia. I want to get out of here. But I didn't want to quit my PhD. I wanted to finish it. Um, so that was couldn't quite. You, couldn't you do like an MPhil or something like that? Yeah, well, I had already done a master's, and uh, yeah, I guess I could have go gone on and done a postdoc or something. But like, there were no jobs, really, no full time jobs, and I didn't really want to emigrate. And you know, I was just kind of like, academia is a little bit too uh, stale, not stale, but you know, it just it just didn't really suit my personality, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think w when I finished it and I, you know, I'd just done this big thing and it was kind of like, oh God, what next? I need to come up with some new big plan and some new passion to lead me. So when I read that book and it was like, no, you don't need to have a passion, you just need to have a skill <laughs> and you just need to get really good at it. It was just like, okay, that I can do, you know. I don't have to come up with a, a big master plan. I just have to focus on what, what I'm good at, which according to the friends I had emailed and other people was writing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes, makes sense, makes sense. Um, now, I saw on your profile that you were uh, pretty much uh, running your own shop for at least six years. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was around 2015. Yeah, yeah. eight years, yeah. It, it, oh, okay. Uh, it's it's fair to say, though, that, you know, because you don't, you don't have a team with you, right? No, no. Right. Uh, and so during that time, uh, I'm thinking like someone, someone who's listening to us is probably thinking of making a similar jump Maybe something that comes to mind is, hey, well, this this can get pretty, pretty, uh, pretty lonely. Yeah. Who was one person that you felt was helping to enable that for you, or, or at least had some form of uh, an impact mm. on, on you while you were doing that? Um, I think in some ways it's not so much one person, but it's like a, it's like connecting with other people who are doing the same thing. So I joined a group for copywriters called Pro Copywriters and started going to their annual conference and their online webinars and talking to other copywriters who were either freelance or in-house. And just having that community around me is really helpful because they're at different stages. So there's always someone going, no, do not price per word or do not price per hour. You know, who's like, you know, might stop you from making mistakes that you would have otherwise. And also, um, there's this great phrase from uh, John Younger. I don't know if you know him. He's, he writes for Forbes about freelancing. Mm -hmm. um, but he has this great phrase, hunt in packs. So it's like for freelancers, you need to hunt in packs because you can get work that you wouldn't otherwise. So that means like you connect up with a designer or a brand strategist or another copywriter. And I got work through other copywriters. So it's about not seeing like, your competitors as competitors they're colleagues and they can actually help you to to get interesting work as yeah. colleagues yeah and and that was that group like did it have any kind of like local presence or was it predominant you know it's, it, it's predominantly uk based but they're um but they now have members all over the world so i mean I, i've 
been in a lot of um, networking groups that were like real life meetups. And actually in the first couple of years of my business, I just I went to everything. I used to like have this in-joke with my friends that it was hashtag networking slush. Um, and, you know, people would be like, oh, do you want to do this on Thursday night? And I'd be like, can't hashtag networking slush. It was just like I was always going things. It was like, oh, someone's opening an envelope somewhere. I better go to that. I might get business. Um, and there was like zero strategy to it. And I did it to the point of near burnout. And then I was just like, I need to, to think about, you know, what rooms I'm going into and who's in those rooms and just be a bit more discerning so I can A, have a social life again and B, you know, get actual business that I want. Yeah. And, and you, you know, maybe like you're, you're actually reminding me of something that I uh, listened to on our, in our podcast episode recently. I can't forget the, I can't remember the, the podcast, um, the podcast itself, unfortunately, but they were talking about how sometimes like with given, given your set of interests, chances are like, what are the chances that you having a neighbor or someone who's like in physical proximity who shares the exact same interests. And so obviously that's the whole appeal of like online communities, because you can really find the community that plays that, that, that adds value to, to you and you add value to them kind of thing. And I was just wondering, like for people who are listening, like, how would you compare it to having like a, uh, a physical support? communities if that if that makes sense do you mean like a real life community or like in person or yeah do you, do you feel like the lines basically get blurred and you don't necessarily you, you kind of like like you no longer mind that maybe some of these people you've never really met in face to face you're still getting the same kind of level of value i think i think there is like this glitch in my business um the pre-pandemic and the post-pandemic pre-pandemic all of my clients were in Ireland, maybe one, I did a little bit of work for a copywriter in the UK, but all my clients were here. All of my networking was in person and all of my business, I would meet the person face to face before they became a client, like every time without exception, which meant that I had a lot of face to face meetings that didn't convert, you know, because every, you know, you're not going to convert to everyone. Post pandemic, you know, I started networking online during the pandemic. I networked into um, Europe. There's a freelance business community group in Europe. And through that, I got a client in Belgium. And through that client in Belgium, I got another two clients in Belgium. I got a client in Germany, you know, whereas before it never would have occurred to me that I could be an exporter. But now I'm an exporter. And most of my, yeah, most of my, most of my client, my income from last year was coming from outside Ireland, you know, yeah. and most of my networking is virtual. Um, and a lot of my clients I had never met face to face, maybe online, maybe yeah. over Zoom, but like, you know, it was just complete game changer. So I'm sure there's a lot of other businesses that have kind of similar experience. Yeah. Oh, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's the exact same for us at, at Chopcast. Like with, you know, we, we would have like, uh, at the time of this recording, we like I think the U.S. would probably be like our biggest market, and mm. I personally haven't been to the U.S. more than two weeks, and that wasn't even for my current company. That was for my, uh, for my previous like employer. Like I had to do like a training, um, yeah. with them. but like we haven't met any of these people face to face, and we would love we we would love to, but yeah. I think the other dimension of it is that is that at least like right now I work in sales, and I, um, uh, I, I'm an introvert. 
but somehow that all kind of like go, <laughs> goes away when yeah. I'm talking to somebody virtually, like, I feel like we can connect on like a, a deep, deep enough level, like significant enough level to like build rapport and genuinely understand like what they're going through and whether there is um, a natural fit between what they're doing and what we're doing kind of thing. Whereas like, you know what I mean? Like my default mode would be like a, a bit more, um, yeah, a, a lot more like in, introverted basically. Mm -hmm. It would take me a lot longer to like build those relationships. Maybe because like the, the, the context of like having virtual calls and stuff, you kind of tend to like get to the, get to the point or get to the, you know, something like I'm terrible with, you know what I mean? Like small talk and stuff, but, <laughs> but if we're actually talking about something, this is very com com comforting for me because we're, we have something to talk about as opposed yeah. to like talking about, you know, the weather. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I'm an introvert too, or I think I'm maybe moving to ambivert. I don't know. I don't know about yeah, that, but, yeah. but I'm definitely an introvert. And yeah, I think, um, but I think we're like, cause I hate doing sales. I mean, obviously I have to sell myself all the time, but I think once you're doing it, you have more of a, you have more of an aim than if you're just, I don't know, you, you have a focus for, for your conversation and sure. so that kind of helps. Um, and I'm sure your, your sales conversations are from the point of how you can help rather than just buy Jobcast, subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> Fine now, yeah, 50% discount <laughs> only today. Yeah, uh, no, it makes sense for sure. And I guess maybe shifting gears a little bit, what was one decision that you've made during your time as a self-employed, um, you know, business owner yeah. that, that you were particularly proud of? Um, I think the decision to, to kind of go all in to, so like it's the first while I was, you know, doing the copywriting, but I was still getting all the job alerts and still writing the cover letters and applying for the jobs and hoping for, you know, some sort of job in shining armor to come along and rescue me. <laughs> but I think the decision, the decision yeah, exactly, with, with the monthly salary and benefits, <laughs> I think the decision to just go, you know, this, this is my path and actually this is going to be more rewarding to me probably in the long term than, than a job would. Because every, you know, every job I'd had up to now, there would come a point where I would kind of, I guess it's that mastery thing. You master the job and the role and then you start to get kind of bored and you get that, that niggling feeling like, okay, I need to start making things more interesting again. So you do something crazy like PhD. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that, I think what I enjoy about this is that there's always more I can learn. There's always more I can do. I can change what I offer to people. I can change the people I work with. I can learn these skills and it's all up to me. So yeah, that decision to stop applying for jobs and go all in, that was the kind of big moment for me. Yeah. I, I love that so much. And it kind of reminds me of this other <laughs> podcast that I was listening to recently <laughs> and they were actually it was, it was uh, the Joe Rogan podcast with, uh, with uh, Nafal Ravikant and I was listening to another podcast with the founder of Design and Joy, which is a, a design design based company. And they were referencing the Joe Rogan podcast uh, with what um, Nafal Ravikant was saying. He was basically talking about the gig economy and how in the future, this whole thing of like a full time employee for one company, like that whole concept is going to go away. You're most likely going to be a consultant or a specialist yeah. that is good at X skill. Yeah. And currently you are consulting with six, these, the following six companies Yeah, and, um, each one of them is happy to pay uh, top dollar for like your, for, for your services. 
because if they were to bring you on full time, they wouldn't like you'll probably spend eighty percent of your time like in like meetings and like yeah. useless shit that like no one yeah. really, um you know in, in hindsight like they would they would not actually get a ton of value from as opposed yeah. to like let's say the twenty percent which really is adding the most value um and similarly you know you know the, the person who would have otherwise been a full time employee like they're they're no longer going to be thinking you know what I'm bored here yeah I want to switch career I want to switch uh, companies or whatever so I just thought like that's really interesting it's kind of related to what you're talking about around how you 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 get to call the shots you're no longer like confront like one one company one style of work and and i think yeah i think like we're, we're in a very interesting time because you're probably leading the way for a lot of folks who are starting to not think starting to not think of doing something in that in that in, in, like following these footsteps yeah and i think i think that's what i enjoy is when i get work like i'll get you know, a couple of days work or project work, you know, like I was helping someone with coming up with names for organizations recently. And that for me was just like, wow, so much fun, like something really creative, almost call, a callback to, to the poetry stuff, because you're trying to find one or two words that will encapsulate this whole brand identity. Um, whereas I had been more used to writing longer stuff. You know, it, it's just that switching gear all the time and and switching from because for me I haven't you know in spite of Cal Newport saying so good they can't ignore you and like al almost like niche suggesting niching I haven't really niched so like I could be doing something about you know I don't know financial stuff did something about cybersecurity and then I'm on to naming uh, a nonprofit you know so that for me it's just like I'm never I'm never bored it's like you don't have to eat the same thing every night you, you can order from different takeaways you can pull down a different recipe book you just have a world of choice so why would you keep eating beans on toast every night <laughs> totally uh beans and toast are nice though um, yeah they are great <laughs> <laughs> but but i think i think there's a lot of you, you touched on something interesting because i'm i'm talking to my co-founder about this a lot where it's like how do we how do you even define a niche you know typically it's like oh you know i'm just working this industry yeah that's a very lazy way of thinking of me or this is a very primitive way of thinking of yes yeah. i think there's so many different ways to 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 position yourself as you know the go-to person for for x use case or x um again could be industry but it could also be like a mix of other things or it could it could just be the type of work or the the style of how you approach certain things and many times it could be industry agnostic. Um, yeah. I'm speaking from experience because like we've had a ton of, um, you know, challenges trying to figure out like how do we exactly niche down and we realize, you know what, we don't necessarily, because like what we do is more on like content repurposing in general. And so we figured rather than focusing on any particular industry, we could focus on like our methodology and focus on trying to become experts at creating engaging content, regardless of the the, the subject matter that's yeah. being talked about and so we're always like talking when, whenever we're talking to you know uh people who are considering to work with us we always say look like we don't claim to be experts in any particular industry mm -hmm. that's that's your job what we do is we focus on trying to just to express that in as an engaging way as possible and as far as like short form videos concerned and so on so yeah. um so yeah i i think you know it's interesting how you're how you're thinking about the fact that you're not really niche down yet but i don't think 
I don't think you, you maybe need to be, and maybe you are niche, you're just niche. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think like as well, when I, you know, it was just say 2020, I did this business course and you had to like submit a business plan as part of it. So 2020 was the first year after maybe five years of business that I actually submitted a business plan in February, January, February, 2020. And obviously by the end of March, that business plan was no longer relevant because pandemic had happened and everything had shut down. And I could see that people who had niched in particular areas were either doing really, really well because they were maybe health communications or they were doing terribly because they were like, um, you know, travel copywriters or whatever, you know. So some some niche, niches worked out really well at that point and others didn't. But because I hadn't niched, I could kind of go into, well, I can write about this. I can write about that. So it's kind of like the middle ground, I guess. Um, and, you know, sure. so... Yeah, there's a there are pros and cons of niching, and maybe my niche is more that I'm going I'm business to business, mostly working with brand strategists and designers. And um, so, yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll give you one more that I think you'll you'll really uh, that I hope you like. Yeah. Um, you kind of remind me of like music producers as well. So like someone like Rick Rubin, for example. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> you know, like like they they wouldn't necessarily say, oh, you know, I'm rock music producer. That's yeah. all I do. It's like no, I I'm. My niche is I'm uh, my niche is I am uh, Rick Rubin, or I am the 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 personal brand basically yeah. that 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 people and can kind of like access and, and work with, and so it's it's not like necessarily confined to any particular industry. Even though we we both agree that that has its benefits, I think yeah. it almost becomes like a signature. It's like the signature style of work, right? Or like an artist or a music producer yeah. or something like that. So it's not necessarily yeah, I, I think, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take that. A Rick Rubin of copywriting. Yeah, 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 no worries. And you don't even you don't even have to. Or the Steven Spielberg, or you know, well, you know. Yeah, the Steven Spielberg. Of, <laughs> not not necessarily one genre. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Brilliant every time. <laughs> so I uh, or the Tarantino. Um, yeah, we need to think of some women though, because this is like the feminist in me is going. Hang on a second. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I I haven't had copy yet. Oh, my own. I can't select. <laughs> so I'm I'm super conscious of of time. So I I did have one final yep. moment to ask you about, and that is an accomplishment or a learning. Now that you're now, and maybe something recent, like something recently that you've realized or that you've recently accomplished, that maybe didn't mean that much to others, but to you, it was it was definitely something something different. I think. Um... I think the kind of learning I have just from throughout my life is there's always another way. There's always another way. So it's like, you know, you think you're going to go one particular path, you get to the end and, and you think it's a dead end, but actually, you know, you can climb over the wall or you can turn around and double back. Um, so it's not, it's not tied to any particular moment. It's tied to lots of time. So like when, when the pandemic happened and it was like, oh my God, you know, all my Irish clients are pulling their budgets and are they afraid to spend money? And then it was like, oh, look, there's this online event from this group in Belgium. I'll just hook up with them. And through that, I got, you know, six months of, of part-time work as a copywriter in a huge organization who I'm still working with. Um, you know, so there's, there's just always another way. It's just a matter of testing out things and finding that other way, which way is the right way for you. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of the uh, 
research that was done on the the science of hope and it talks about like what one of the key pillars of it is like people the people who are successful are the people who don't necessarily get overly committed to like plan a or b or c they they're willing to go from like plan a to z and then plan a a a b yes <laughs> just they're gonna figure it out um and in a, in a weird way that that improves their likelihood of success because they're not emotionally attached to any one particular plan or ideal way to get there yeah and i think it means you then can kind of see the opportunities like the reason i was thinking oh well you're was also because Brexit was happening and I knew it's it's much easier for a European client to work with an Irish client because there's the VAT, uh, whatever it's called, reverse charging, you know, and, and you're working the same currency and they all market in English first, um, or most of them seem to. Um, so there's that and I can't remember what my point was, but anyway. <laughs> Um, oh, oh, that, that like this, you thought that it would have been... Oh, not having a plan, that was it. So yeah. yeah, so it was like, yeah, so, you know, when I was forced to write a business plan was when I first started my business and I was applying for um, government support. And then when I was doing that course in 2020, but I haven't had a business plan since. And okay, uh, there's this expression about writers that you're either the kind of writer who plots it all out, so you're a plotter, or you're the kind of writer who flies by the seat of your pants and you're a pantser. So I am definitely, when it comes to business, I'm not a plotter, I'm a pantser. <laughs> and it's mostly worked out fine. I think sometimes you can be kind of enslaved to your plan and think, no, this is this is the business plan. And that's what I've, you know, printed out for the start of the year, which can make you either blinkered and, and not to see the other opportunities or not to see the threats. So I think, yeah, in defense of people who don't have business plans, that's me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, so we're, we're coming up to time, Maven. I was wondering um, whether there's anything that you wanted to, to share with the community um, and also where people can, can find you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm a content writer who doesn't have a lead magnet, so I'm afraid I to blog here, but you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, hand MH, M for mother, H for hand. Um, or you can find me on my website, copywritingbyhand.com. And I, yeah, I'd love to connect with other freelancers or brand strategists or designers or just people who want to connect for uh, for book recommendations and podcast recommendations. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, Maeve, I know we can talk for, for hours. I was literally like for every like five, six thoughts I was getting, I was trying to like suppress them and just take <laughs> one because I know your time is very valuable. So, yeah, thank you so much for for joining today. And folks, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you on the next episode.